It is a, a wonderful day. How many of you enjoyed that extra hour of sleep last night? How many of you forgot that you had an extra hour of sleep? All right, good, 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 good. Uh, it's a beautiful thing. How many of you stayed up an extra hour longer so that you wasted your hour extra of uh, sleep there? Okay, good. That's uh, As I have grown older and more mature... One would think that I would try to go to bed at a normal... Yeah, but it doesn't ever work. So uh, yeah, I wasted my hour. But I feel good this morning, so it's great to be here. Uh, I think it'd be great this uh, morning for us to, uh, to kick off uh, this morning uh, praying for our nation. Uh, just real quickly, uh, I'm not going to get too political, right, with all of this. But we need to see God uh, move it within our nation and regardless, I was uh, reading uh, Sarah's post the other day, uh, Sarah, if you're in the front row, uh, and uh, she said, uh, I'm going to paraphrase it and probably not say it quite so eloquently as she did, but uh, the day after the election, uh, she's going to get up and go to work and do what Jesus has called her to do, right? And so that regardless of who wins, regardless of who, you know, all of that stuff, right, our responsibilities uh, as followers of Christ does not change based on who is president, who's senate, who's whatever, okay? So it doesn't matter one bit. Uh, we still love Jesus. We still follow him and take the opportunities and look for those moments uh, that God has presented to us uh, that are unique, uh, unique for us in our lives, and we move forward boldly uh, for Jesus Christ. So no matter what happens around us, uh, uh, we are going to follow after and uh, love Jesus with all of our heart. And so, God, we do lift up our nation. Um, Father, we recognize that many, many people have already voted. And uh, God, then come, come uh, this Tuesday, Lord, when uh, votes are tallied and uh, declarations are made of winners and losers and all of that, Lord, I thank you that you are still God. And that, Lord, our faith is in you. It's not in any uh, man-made governmental system. Our faith is, is founded upon the word of God. Our faith and desire, uh, Lord, is that call that you have upon our lives uh, to present Jesus Christ to the world around us. And Lord, we recognize that that ability to present Jesus Christ uh, is uh, regardless of governments, regardless of elections, that Lord, that call that's upon our lives is clarion, it is clear, it is uh, something that we, uh, we, we cherish in our lives. And so Lord, help us to share Jesus no matter what goes on in the world around us. But God, we do pray for our nation, and that God, with uh, the fear that has been uh, kind of foistered upon, uh, upon our nation, and uh, right now, God, a, a lot of people are expecting violence to happen, either on election night or the night after or sometime in the coming weeks. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would protect our nation. God, those who have determined in their hearts to, uh, to do violence against citizens, against uh, property, Lord, I pray you would stop them in their tracks. And God, the violence that they intend upon others, Lord, that uh, even as, as the word says in Psalm 7, God, that you would turn that violence back upon themselves, God. And that, uh, that Lord, we would be people uh, that turn our hearts towards you. Lord, we love you. We praise you, God, this day. And uh, thank you in advance that you are going to guide us as a people as we follow after you. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. Um, I am thankful, right? And I, I love that song we just sang, and it is, a, it is a new one. I'd actually never heard it until I saw it on our list, uh, knowing ahead of time what we were going to be singing. And I truly am thankful for what God is doing among us. And I just want to say thank you uh, from the bottom of our heart as a staff. Uh, thank you for your trust 
in, um, in us being able to meet together. Thank you for following guidelines. Thank you for doing everything that you can uh, to make this a safe place. And uh, we're just grateful uh, for the opportunity that we have as a people of God to gather together uh, and to worship him. There are some states where this is not possible. So I'm grateful for, uh, for the state of Utah still allowing us uh, to be able to meet like this and to worship together. And uh, it really is great. And so thank you as well for those who are joining us online. I don't know which camera's live right now, but I'm going to, all right, there we go. Uh, thank you for being with us uh, this morning. It really is great to know uh, that you are gathering with us. And so shout out to each one of you. And uh, right now in the comments, let us know where you're watching from. I think that would be uh, fascinating to know where uh, you're watching from. Some of you, it's from your bed. Uh, we know that. So, all right. Um, so Jesus with his disciples made his way to a place called Samaria. And uh, it happened to be in the middle of a day uh, that uh, Jesus and the disciples uh, made it there. And Samaria was not known to be friend, uh, friend to the Jews. Well, in fact, uh, it wasn't reciprocated the other way either. Jews were not friendly with uh, the Samaritans. In fact, this animosity between these two groups of people was centuries in the making. Uh, the pain was deep. The betrayal of past generations uh, was just always bubbling under the surface. And it still stung on that day that Jesus found his way to a well. And it's no other uh, well than Jacob's well. Have you ever heard of Jacob's well before, right? So Jacob's well. And uh, this Jacob's well was per, per potentially the very same well that Jacob the patriarch in Genesis chapter 33, uh, right after he had uh, purchased this plot of land from a guy by the name of Shechem in the land of the Canaanites, had bought this land, which would eventually become part of the promised land of God. And this well, more than likely, Jacob and his, uh, his family dug himself. And there they are on this day, finding themselves at Jacob's well. Near this spot of the well, Jacob would have built an altar, an altar to worship the God who had called him, who had spoken to him, who had led his family, who had brought grace and, and boldness into his family. Now sitting at the side of a well in the middle of the day is the one who was worshiped on that day as Jesus sat by this well in Samaria. And as well, at this well, <laughs> was a woman in the middle of the day. Now, in Jesus' time, in the time where all of this is taking place, and you can find this in uh, John chapter 4, where all of this is taking place, um, a woman would not go in the middle of the day to a well, certainly not by herself. So this is a story about this lady, and we don't know it at this point. Um, because women like her uh, would normally be, because the city that was nearby, a city was called Sychar, and uh, in the city would be plenty of other places to get water. There were, uh, you know, other ways to do it, and yet here she came in the middle of the day when she knew nobody else would be there, and she shows up at this well. And she finds herself at this well, <laughs> thinking she'd be by herself, uh, except there is a Jewish Obviously, somebody of some repute who is now at the well with her. And this guy, we know as Jesus, was a stranger to her. A few things. Jews don't talk to Samaritans. Samaritans don't talk to Jews. 
And women don't go to the well alone, except those who have burned some bridges. So if you were in this same moment, and you knew that there was animosity between you and this other person who was uh, going to be there at the well in this common public place, how would you respond? Would you strike up a conversation with this person that was other than you? Would you take a moment to get to know them? Would you ignore them? You see, cultural expectations are pretty powerful. And we get, our, we get uncomfortable when we find ourselves in uncertain company. Have you ever been in a place where you have been a minority when before you were the majority? Regardless of how you feel you respond in those moments, it can get uncomfortable. It's natural. We want to fit in. We want to find those, those people that believe like us, act like us, at times look like us and around us. And that's one thing I love about the body of Christ is that we focus on that unity that comes in Jesus Christ, right? And so we are able to gather together as the various people of God and be able to worship him. Um, this certainly was not the case for Jesus and this woman. In our current language, the barriers that were there at the time would be sexism and racism. Those are the two things that were kind of under the surface for this woman and for Jesus. Even in this undercurrent of religious uh, bigotry, that it would rear its ugly head in an encounter like this, except for one thing. This is Jesus we're talking about. So God has called us to lead the people of the valley to be more like Jesus, right? This is one of those, those statements that we are kind of uh, wrapping ourselves around here uh, for Life Church Utah. God has called us to lead the people of the valley to be more like Jesus. As we learned a few weeks ago in uh, 2 Corinthians or 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, Paul said this statement, and for us it rings true that we, uh, we um, what he said was, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Well, that assumes that we know what we're to imitate in Jesus, right? We're, we're to know how to have Jesus within our lives so we can imitate him. So how do we become ourselves more like Jesus? Right? If we're going to lead people to be more like Jesus, we ourselves need to be more like him. And so that's what this kind of fall series is all about, becoming more like Jesus. And when we start saying, I want to become more like Jesus, this, this can be so overwhelming for us because there's so many things we could talk about. We've chosen just five things. Last week, um, these are, are kind of the things that allow us to be more like Jesus. Last week was a commitment to biblical truth. And this is already something that we've uh, kind of wrestled with a little bit. And I hope uh, this last week that you spend a little time in the Word of God because we know when we read the Word of God, we are reading, uh, we are reading who Jesus is. And if we want to become like Jesus, we need to have the Word of God in our lives. The second thing we're talking about today is uh, we innovate ministry to reach the next generation. We innovate ministry to reach the next generation. It's not just uh, when we think next generation, we think our children, grandchildren, that kind of a thing, and that's certainly part of it, but it's really mostly about reaching those, that next generation of believers. And so that can be our children, but it can also be people that right now are unknown to us. 
that haven't heard the gospel of Christ. So we innovate ministry to reach the next generation. The next one is intentional love of others. That's going to be next weekend. Uh, we also uh, believe that Jesus was radically generous. So we're going to find out how we, in order to be like Jesus, are radically generous. And then finally in, uh, is the idea of developing healthy relationships. God has called us as a church to cultivate and develop uh, healthy relationships. So we find the story of Jesus and the woman in John chapter 4. And what's remarkable about this story uh, is the reality of ministry that's happening here. And it's happening um, in this unexpected encounter. I don't think Jesus knew that this woman was going to be there. I don't think the woman certainly knew that a Jewish rabbi was going to be at the well when she showed up there on that day. Um, And in this, Jesus innovates. He takes this moment and begins to do something completely unexpected. John chapter 4, verse 7 through 9 says, A Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, and we can, we can start uh, seeing some of the angst and the problems that are here. Jesus said to her, Give me some water to drink. For his disciples had gone off into the town to buy uh, supplies. So the Samaritan woman said to him, How can you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for water to drink? And uh, so the author, John, as he's writing this, he has to give some background. And so we see this parenthetical statement. He says, for Jews use nothing in common with Samaritans. Uh, John wanted to set the stage going, this was unusual. And Jesus' response to all of this is truly innovative for us. So you can sense the tension. Rabbis didn't talk with women in public. Just didn't happen. Um, there is even a group, when I was studying, a group of religious leaders that were given the name the Bruised and Bleeding Pharisees. This was the name that was given to them. Why was that name given to them? Because when they would walk publicly, when they, when they, were, when they were around, this is fantastic, and you should try it sometime. They would, if there was a woman walking near them, they would close their eyes so they wouldn't see the woman, and they would walk into walls, <laughs> and so they were called the Bruised and Bleeding Pharisees. Really? Is that the way we handle this? That just doesn't seem to help. So that's a hurdle in relationships. You can't even look at the other person, right? It's a hurdle in relationships, sexism alive and well in Jesus' time. We still haven't conquered it in our world. But this is Jesus we're talking about. The story goes on. Jesus answered her, if you had known the gift of God and who it was, Um, Who it is who said to you, give me some water to drink, you would have uh, asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said to him, you have no bucket and the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? Jesus could have ignored this woman. It would have perfectly been within his rights as a Jewish rabbi, as a leader, as a teacher, as somebody who is important to have turned his back, not engaged, to do nothing with this woman. And yet he chose to, and that to me is what's so innovative about this. And it might seem weird to use, we usually think of innovation as like a product or something like that. But to me, innovation in ministry, Jesus saw past all of these social and cultural norms and saw somebody who was broken and said, I have to reach them. Uh, Jesus broke the mold of what was anticipated by others. And this is a sign of innovation, is breaking the mold. 
breaking what people are expecting you to do in these kind of moments when we would be uncomfortable. And granted, at times it's okay to feel uncomfortable, but we don't allow that to be the thing that determines what we do next. So they continue to have this discussion about spiritual life, and this woman shows interest in the message of Jesus. It's a a message of hope and acceptance, something that she did not expect in that moment when this Jewish rabbi is talking to her. So Jesus proceeds to ask about her family. It's kind of a very common thing to do, right, is to ask somebody about their family. And her husband in particular, and here we find out a little bit more about this woman and why she's there in the middle of the day when nobody else was there. He said to her, go call your husband and come back here. The woman replied, I have no husband. Jesus said to her and said, right you are when you said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the man you are living with now is not your husband. This you said truthfully. Super fascinating. I mean, it really is. This whole conversation to me just blows my mind, okay? I love the fact that Jesus doesn't take this moment to jump on sin. What does he focus on? He focuses on the fact that she told the truth. She rightly recognized that her own life was messed up. Right? And Jesus doesn't take this moment. And then, you know, I mean, I'm a pastor, and so it's expected of a pastor if I'm talking to somebody and they say that they're living in sin, that my job is to point out that they are living in sin. That's my job. Right? You would think that the Messiah, God's own son, that would be his job. But no, what does he do? He focuses on the fact that she told the truth about her life. If you were in that moment... And somebody said that they had had five husbands, and the, the guy that they were living with right now, obviously Jesus is prophetically reading into her life, right? But, and then the guy that she's living with right now is not her husband. What would you do? Man, there are some of us who are so righteous, we would point out the fact that they were living in sin, and they had to get that right before God would touch their life. Jesus doesn't do that. And this, to me, is what's so innovative and crazy about the way that Jesus handles this whole situation. She probably would have expected this Jewish rabbi to point out the things that she had done wrong. But remember, this is Jesus we're talking about. (laughs) He took a chance on being misunderstood in order to reach the forgotten. This is innovation. He took a chance on being misunderstood in order to reach the forgotten. Uh, And I don't know if you've ever been in an uncomfortable uh, uh, conversation before where somebody maybe reveals a little bit more about their life than they expected and, you know, just kind of have that moment. Uh, She does, I think, what we are are masters at. Uh, She changes the subject. I don't know if you, if you know that. We're not going to read all of that, but uh, she changes the subject and begins talking about other things. And uh, she points out uh, at this point the fact that, hey, look, this well was you know, dug by Jacob and this is a great place to worship. It's really kind of a strange thing, but she, she changes the subject to focus on where they were, close to this place of worship uh, that the Samaritans celebrated. She knew something of the hope of a Messiah. 
She, she knew a little bit of religious language. She knew a, a just enough to make it look like she knew something. And my guess is you've had conversations very similar with people uh, before where they know just enough spiritual talk that they feel like they can get you, uh, uh, get you away from the point of pain in their own life. Where they, they know just enough to say, oh, I went to church when I was a kid. You ever heard that before when you're talking to somebody? And this is kind of what's going on uh, right now in, with Jesus in this conversation. Verse 25, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. Messiah is a title, okay? So I know that the Messiah, I know that Messiah is coming. John, again, puts a parenthesis there, says this is the one called Christ because that's, a, that's the, kind of the, the, um, the Greek version of Messiah is Christ. Whenever he comes, he will tell us everything, she says. Jesus said to her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. If you ever wonder if Jesus ever claimed to be God, this is one of those moments, by the way. Just so you know that Jesus is very, very clear about what he believes of his own standing. Um, so at this moment, the disciples walk up. Um, have you ever been interrupted like in a really spiritual moment? When people walk up, you're like, no, this was it. This was the moment I was waiting for. You know, I just set the hook and I'm going to, you know, I'm not a fisherman, so I don't know what I'm talking about. You set the hook and, you know, pull it and you reel it in. Okay. Um, so you have this moment. The disciples walk up. They are shocked that Jesus is talking to a woman. They're wondering what's transpired here, but all that they see um, uh, at this point is that Jesus is doing potentially something wrong, but they know that he's their leader, so they're not going to question him, and they're just curious about all of this. Um, you know, it takes a while for old beliefs to make their way out of our system. This is what the disciples are in the middle of. They see this, uh, uh, you know, their Jewish teacher is not supposed to be talking to a woman, so they're wondering why Jesus is allowing this, and so they're very, very confused. So with that moment done, you know, that, that moment where he says, I am he, there's no other conversation recorded between Jesus and this woman, but it says that, uh, and we'll, we'll get to it in just a moment. So a little bit about um, innovation. To innovate is to look at, uh, look at new ways at old problems, to look at new ways at old problems, to introduce new thinking, new ideas to those that have grown old and stale. And we can be really guilty of this in the church because we have tradition, right? I mean, we, we, uh, um, for us, if you've been a part of Life Church for, for any length of time, uh, what, you will, what you will know is that right now, since the pandemic, we sing three songs we have a moment of announcements. We have 60-second greeting. And then following that, uh, the pastor, I'll get up and speak to you for about 30, 35 minutes or so. Um, and then we will pray and then we will leave. That's our tradition. And if we innovate away from that, we get emails. What, what, uh, it was uncomfortable because you, you move things out of order. Yes. Right? There are times when we don't, we think we're innovative, but we just fall in tradition, and church can be like this. And so that means to me to be said that Christians can be just like that as well. And we grow old and stale, and we don't look for new, innovative ideas of how to do the thing that God has called us to do. This is what I love about Jesus nothing gets old with him. 
He's always looking for new ways to transform us from the inside out. Um, and I think part of this is the fact that Jesus could innovate because he was so comfortable with what he knew he was supposed to do. He was so comfortable with this undergirding reality that his father had called him to do specific things in specific ways. He knew that, and he's so comfortable with it. He goes, all right, this is a new day. Let me think of a new way to do Oh, I'm going to go up here, and I happen to stop by this well, and there's a woman here. This is an opportunity for me to innovate in this moment to reach somebody that doesn't know me. Jesus was deeply creative. He was not bound by rules that became very limiting. Others from the outside would be pressuring, a rabbi doesn't do this. You don't do this. There is no other way to do what rabbis have been doing for as long as rabbis have been doing what rabbis do. Can't wait to translate that in Spanish here in a couple of hours. Um, Right? And so, you know, you get used to the, doing the things the old way, and you're like, we can't do anything different. Uh, take Elon Musk, whatever you think about him, <laughs> okay? He's a strange dude. There's no doubt about it. He's intriguing, and he's innovative. When he was thinking about SpaceX, uh, nobody had thought about doing what he was about ready to do. And so he started traveling the world looking for people with rockets, hey, can I buy some space on your rocket because I've got some ideas? And they would give him the price. He'd go, no, I'm not paying that much. And so he got to this point where he realized, I need to learn about rockets. And so he did a deep dive into becoming a rocket scientist. <laughs> That's what he did. I mean, how many of you would go, oh, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to now do a deep dive into this subject, become an expert on it. And this one time, he had traveled to a country, I believe it was Russia, had traveled there, and on the way back, because it was so expensive, he pulls his rocket scientist that had uh, kind of been with him. He says, hey, I've got an idea. I've been studying rocket science for the past few months, and what he proceeds to do is on the plane ride back, he opens up this big folder and all these papers and says, so I've designed a rocket. What do you think? <laughs> and he gives it to his rocket scientist. Rocket scientist looks at it and goes, yeah, this is actually pretty good. This will work. And that started SpaceX. That, to me, is pretty phenomenal, and I uh, just love, uh, love that story because he said, uh, one of the things he said was, there's a silly notion that failure is not an option at NASA. Elon Musk said, uh, failure is an option here at SpaceX. If things aren't failing, you're not innovating enough. Right? And so we, as the people of God, we've got to take risks and chances if we're going to innovate. If we're going to reach people that have never been reached before, we're obviously not reaching them now, so it means what we're doing now isn't effective in reaching them, so we must innovate. Innovation by uh, nature requires risk. While it's hard to think about Jesus innovating and failing, right, and that's not, uh, that's not the point, but it's hard for us to think that Jesus took risk or took a chance on reaching people. And yet, isn't that ultimately what he did? He took a chance on us responding to him. Innovation's risky for us. We have the potential to try and fail, and we have to be okay with failing. You see, when the pandemic hit in March, everything had to change. March 15th, it was one way. March 16th, everything changed. 
Uh, and so we had to quickly be online and as a church try to figure, okay, how do we do this and what changes do we need to make? And for many of you, the sound was terrible at the beginning online and we recognize that. And for some of you right now who are watching online, the sound is still terrible. We're trying to figure it out, trying to make it work and change it and trying to innovate and make things better all of the time. Every step is a step forward, learning and trusting and failing and making changes and moving forward. So what does innovating uh, ministry to reach the next generation look like? It's easy to say for, for us as a church to go, well, the church needs to innovate. That the, the staff and the structure of the church needs to innovate in order to reach new people. And so we're just going to sit until such time as that happens. But I want to challenge you that I don't think that innovation is only corporate. Now, we're going to do our best. We're going to do new ideas, and we're looking at new things that we can do in the future because the world has changed and everything around us and old ministries cannot be done the same way. So we're looking at that. But as your pastor, my greatest joy is, is seeing innovation happen in your life to reach your family, to reach your coworkers, your loved ones. So when you take a chance, you take a risk, and you say, I would love to see what God can do. I'm going to invite you to watch the screens. My name is Jessica Mora. I am an ice skater, and I currently skate for U.S. Figure Skating. But in my heart, I skate for Christ because I want to spread the love and joy that he put in my heart since I was three years old. God transformed my life when my dad passed away. He was a huge part of my life. He was the only one who supported me in my figure skating career. No one else did. It was always working three jobs and paying for it. But when he passed away, I didn't know what to do. I thought skating was my escape. And what's weird is that my dad, God also used my dad's death because my dad was actually seeking God more right before he passed away. He, he rode a bike two miles in the rain just to go to church. I did not understand that. I was like, you're crazy. Why don't you not go to church? He's like, I feel God's calling me to go to church. God really brought peace and changed me from that moment. And I just drew closer to Christ. I finally attended church after eight years. I just loved singing praise music and just learning about what God has to offer and how amazing he is. He also transformed my life in my skating career. I gave him my life, but I did not give him my skating career. I will be honest with you, I did not. I was so hesitant because I put in seven years of my life from Monday through Saturday, four to five hours a day of training. I felt like everything was great, but my skating career was just going downhill because of all these things that the world was telling me. And it was really getting to me at one point. I wanted to quit because I felt like I wasn't good enough. I was believing what the world was telling me. So I stopped, I decided to stop listening to them and started listening to Christ. And I felt broke down crying on my knees. I'm like, here, just take my skating career. That year, that was February of 2018. I passed four US figure skating tests that year. It takes one year just to pass one. I passed four that year. And I was so amazed, like, I had all this energy that I didn't know where it came from. And that was when I realized, I'm like, if I pray every single morning and receive my daily bread, then 
he will give me his not only would I have my strength but I'll have his strength and sometimes I got no strength but I got his strength to rely on and everything will be okay in the Bible it says we are a reflection of God's light to the world I reach those around me by making my life be a reflection of Christ so I make everything I do is I wanted to honor God from the moment I put my feet on the ground to the moment I go to sleep. Everything is a routine. This is what I mean by every little detail of my day is a reflection of God's light. So when I put my skates on, those are my feet of the gospel because I got my skate, my Bible verses written on them. And if someone asks me, what is that? I write the Bible verse so they can look it up. And I don't tell them. I'm like, look it up. You tell me. And so my gloves is my shield of faith. The other one is the sword of the spirit. My leotard is my breastplates of righteousness. My pants, the little outline is my belt of truth. I always have a hair scrunchie. So that's my helmet of salvation. I want to reach out to those who don't know what to do and that Christ is the answer because he's the one that saves and gives life. And he gave me life and I would love to share that with others what he gives is just it's priceless and it's unbelievable what he can do when you give him all he wants is just give him your life and give him everything you have and he'll take care of you so I have Jessica states uh, states skates uh, here and what I love about him is uh, she does have these scripture verses that are written on there, Jeremiah 29, 11, John 3, 16, John 4, 10. And people do ask her about that. And I love it because to me, folks, this is simple innovation, right? It's your skates. <laughs> skates, right? Um, and I, 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 I love this. And there's much more to this and why she's got them all blinged out. There's a whole story behind that. And it's just, just wonderful to see that where she said, you know what, this is not just a skate, this is an opportunity for me to tell someone about Jesus Christ. This is an opportunity for me to create kind of a hunger for them to ask me about it. And doesn't that sound a lot like what Jesus did at the well? This is a Jacob's well moment. My, uh, my mother-in-law recently, uh, she started, uh, started working again. And uh, I don't know exactly how old she is. She's older than me. <laughs> and... But one of the things she wanted to do is she, she loves cleaning. Uh, back many years ago, uh, she cleaned our house in Greeley, Colorado, because she smelled a diaper there. And then she cleaned it for hours and hours and hours and hours. And then she went outside and went, it smells like that outside. And we're like, yes, it's Greeley, Colorado. It stinks here. So that's, um, but, but she loves to clean. And uh, so she started like a little cleaning business. Um, she's in her 70s. And she said, basically, I'm going to clean for people to get the opportunity to be a hope and a help for them to tell them about Jesus. I love that. That to me is innovation. As a 70-year-old, 70-plus, she goes, I want to find new ways to tell people about Jesus. And she's an encourager and she's one that loves people. So what has God put in your life that you can innovate with? What gift do you have? What job do you have? What opportunity do you have to be able to innovate? Um, John chapter four, verse 28, here as we wrap up. says, then the woman left her water jar, went off into the town and said to the people, 
now remember, she left her water, she had dragged that water jar, she left it there because Jesus touched her life. And she said this, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Her life laid bare before the, before the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, before this Messiah. And she's going down there saying, look, Jesus told me everything I ever did. She revealed all of the hurts and the pains and he had an answer for me. Says, surely he can't be the Messiah, can he? And I love this. So they left the town and began to come to him. In other words, because Jesus innovated to reach somebody who hadn't been reached yet, she goes out and she tells her friends and her family members and says, come. See this guy who told everything about me. I don't know everything about him, but there is something about this Jesus. Oh, folks, that it would be that we would innovate to reach this next generation and say, God, take whatever I've got. Take every bit of me, Lord, and use it. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet. You see, folks, this next generation of believers is waiting for us to innovate ministry to reach them. Right? There is a hunger that is with deep within our culture, and I would say it is more at the surface than it has ever been, that dysfunction, the hurt, the pain, the agony that we see all around us. Folks, we serve the creative God who made this world. Does it not stand to reason that he can put creativity and innovation within us as individuals? And you can pray for us as a church and a staff to help us innovate. But I am mostly concerned about you to not just say, oh, the church will take care of it. God has called you individually to say, what can I do to reach this next generation? So Father God, I thank you for this congregation. Lord, I'm grateful for each one of their lives. And Lord, it's just this open canvas for you to do something new and beautiful within. And so God, take the skates of our life, God. And Lord, help us to use whatever tools you have given to us, God. Every experience of our life to be able to innovate, to reach this next generation for you. Jesus, I thank you that you did not let sexism or racism, you didn't let cultural norms stop you from reaching those who don't know you. And so God, help us to be the same because Jesus, we are yours. Your life runs through us through the power of your spirit within us. And Lord, you are creative. And so help us as your people be creative. Every head bowed, every head closed for just a moment. You're here this morning. And you'd say, Pastor, I know I've taken for granted and I have not innovated. I haven't taken opportunity to put Jesus first in areas of my life, whether it's my work, my home, uh, my, uh, my, my own personal life. I haven't put Jesus first in my life and I need him in my life. If that's you this morning, can you lift up your hands? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Lots of hands up. And so, Father God, together we commit ourselves to you, God, that we will be innovative to reach this next generation for Jesus Christ. But Lord, you will help us reach them, God, because you have reached us first. And God, you use incredible circumstances to bring us to you. So Lord, help us to partner with your spirit, to partner with you, oh God, to be able to reach this next generation for you. So God, use us in our workplaces, use us in our homes, use us, uh, God, in the quiet of uh, loneliness at times to be able to dream, to think differently about, God, what you've called us to do. And so God, help us to use our skates for you, use our cleaning ability for you, uh, be able to use our brains and our minds for you. Help us, God, to use our hands for the kingdom of God. And Lord, help us to be creative because you are a creative God. 
Lord, I thank you for this congregation. I ask your blessing upon them. Lord, lead them, guide them, direct them, allow there to be a boldness because, God, we're convinced of the mission that you have for us to reach those that don't know you. Lord, we love you this day. We ask all this in Jesus' wonderful name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Uh, next week, we kind of pick up this theme with uh, intentionally loving others. That starts with that innovation. So thank you guys. See you next week. Don't forget, uh, ladies, who want to host the table, sign up out in the lobby. Other than that, God bless you.